Well, good morning to each of you, and uh, on behalf of the staff, and on behalf of Pastor Clayton and all of us at Kingswood, we welcome you today as we continue and begin this new sermon series, Faith on Broadway, and we address uh, the musical of Frozen. I do want to explain some of this. You're probably wondering, what is this bag with sunglasses on it? Uh, this comes from First Service. It's part of Jen's a bag of blessings. He's known as Bob. And Bob often brings things for the children's sermon in first service. These Pop-Tarts are looking pretty tempting today because <laughs> today was Pop-Tart and Pajama Day. I almost skipped first service, but probably not. For, but we're grateful for our children's minister uh, and her work. Amen? Amen. And the good work of all of our volunteers in that program. So will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for this beautiful day because it's raining. And we long for rain and we thank you for the beautiful gift of rain. We pray, God, now that you would open our hearts and minds to your word as we experience it in relationship to this beautiful musical and movie, uh, Frozen, which reminds us that too often fear will paralyze us. We will retreat in fear and frozenness instead of living the abundant life to which you call us. So now, God, as we enter into this conversation, as we enter into the study of your word, may we be encouraged to not live in fear but to live with abundance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we, we, we've already talked about how many of you have seen Frozen either as a movie, as an escapade, or uh, as a musical. Uh, and when the team chose it, we kind of debated because we we're doing Faith on the Red Carpet in July, and so we said, is this a movie? But we decided uh, to do it as a musical. Now, I, I have probably seen Frozen six or eight times the movie, because I have three nieces, amen? And so every time we gather for holidays, let's watch Frozen. So I'm sure you have some similar stories, but I've watched Frozen a lot. But on Friday night, at movie night, we showed Fiddler on the Roof for the adults and Frozen for the children. And so I gathered in the children's room because I needed to watch it one more time. And you would have thought I had never seen it before because I was just literally totally enthralled with this musical and the movie and the storyline. So I don't know if you know the storyline. Most of you probably do, so it's probably a repeat, so forgive me. I, I want to introduce you to the characters. I think that's important first as we talk about this musical and movie Frozen. Began as a Disney film, you knew that, and then later became uh, translated as a musical on Broadway, and then as we heard, uh, later became an ice show as well. And I would say after first service, almost every kid said to me, oh, I love Frozen. So there's just something about it that children love and probably something about it that we love because in essence, we all have been frozen by fear. Amen? Right? Are you awake out there or are you frozen? Okay, good. All right. I'm actually grateful to God today for the colder temperatures because it fit well. I had prayed for snow. At least we got rain. Amen? Right. <laughs> I think you know I hate summer, right? I would much rather live in winter. So I love this show. I know it's disappointing, but you'll get over it. Amen. Okay. <laughs> so let's learn the characters. The first character is Elsa. She's the older sister of two. She is the princess at the beginning of the movie. She will later be, later be uh, crowned the queen in a coronation service. Elsa is uh, the kind of strong-willed, uh, perfect child a one on the Enneagram, very controlling. I love Elsa, amen, right? Uh, she does everything right, she's very respected, but she 
ends up having a special gift. Her parents see it as a curse. Uh, but the gift is she, whatever she touches, whatever her foot touches, will turn to ice. And she can create all sorts of beautiful sculptures, and we see that throughout both the movie and in the musical. Her parents, the king and queen of Arendelle, are deeply concerned after an incident, and they encourage her and ask her to be perfect in her control of what they see as a curse, but what is truly a gift. And that's going to play heavy in this movie. So Elsa. The second daughter is Anna. Uh, I think Arendelle must be in Norway, Sweden, or Denmark. It seems like it is. Seems like a Scandinavian experience. Uh, Anna is the second child. She's really just the opposite of Elsa, right? So she's a free spirit. She loves dancing. She loves fun. She's kind of silly. She's the forever optimist. She, she's not quite caught up in perfection, but much more living in the moment. Um, and she loves Arendelle, and she loves her parents, and she doesn't like being alone, and she always wants to be with people, and she's very social, right? So many of us love her, some of us relate to her, some of us would like to be her, amen, right? Uh, but Anna is that kind of person. The third character is Kristoff, who is introduced early in the musical as a little boy who's been abandoned by his parents and kind of wanders in the forest and in the countryside, but later is this man with a reindeer uh, uh, who is his best friend. That says a lot about Kristoff, amen. Uh, and his, his career is delivering ice, and that's what he is uh, uh, connected to. And he will play an important role in relationship to Anna later in the story. Olaf, probably the most beloved character, is a snowman, right? Uh, often in their early childhood, Elsa and Anna would build snowmen and snow people, right? Uh, but Olaf actually comes to life later in the musical by the power and magic that Elsa has, her gift. And Olaf is kind of a bumbling kind of character, makes lots of mistakes, but is hilarious and is good-natured and actually is a great sign of grace to everybody in the world. Sven is the reindeer, uh, doesn't actually speak, but is, of course, Kristoff's best friend. And uh, he really is more like a Labrador retriever than a reindeer. And he's the slave puller. He's the conscience of Kristoff. And he's the encourager. And so we, we love him, and he's, he's amazing. Hans is the handsome royal prince from a neighboring kingdom who comes to Arendelle for Elsa's coronation. At be the beginning, we think he's really an amazing person, but then we later learn not so much, right? And we'll learn that in the story. Some other minor characters, which I'll spend very little time on, but the Duke of Wesselton, who's a real problem and a real troublemaker and is looking to gain control of the Arendelle Empire. Oaken, who runs the trading post, who's just kind of a funny character who plays a sideline role. And then my favorite character, Marshmallow, who's the abominable snowman, right? And looks like a huge marshmallow and gets a bad rap. He was created for protection, uh, but uh, his story is not good, right? Amen, all right. So you got the characters and you got a sense of, the, of the, who they are. So let's look at the story briefly. So the, the Empire of Arendelle, king and queen, two daughters, Elsa the oldest, destined to be the queen, and honor her sister. They're very close at the beginning. They play, and because of this gift that Elsa has, they create snowmen and snowbanks and ice sculptures and so forth. But one day, you'll remember, they get up early, they're playing, 
And by accident, Anna's out of control. She gets to the very top of a snowbank, and Elsa cannot keep up with her. She strikes an effort to create another snowbank, but she hits Anna in the head, right? And so the king and queen realize that Anna is in serious trouble, and they go to a, a place outside of the kingdom where all the trolls live. I haven't even introduced them, but there are other characters too, including the grandpa troll who plays these very wise and has a lot to offer, right? And he heals Anna. Kristoff Chris, sees that as a boy. He knows this story. And then the, the, the troll doesn't see it as a curse, but Elsa's mom and dad do. And you'll remember when they return as a way to protect Anna, a way to protect others, they close the castle. They close the gates. They draw the blinds. They let go of certain staff. And they lock Elsa in her room, and Anna can't get to her. And it's really a painful moment when you realize that her parents, meaning well, but in the end, stifle the gift, label it as a curse, and create a deep sense of loneliness and division that's hard to repair. Anna, in her spirit, tries to reconnect. She's playing around. She talks to pictures. She's hilarious. But she goes to the door every day of, of, of uh, Elsa's bedroom trying to reconnect. But Elsa continues to withdraw and withdraw and withdraw. At one point in time, their parents go on a trip. And as you know, because of a storm in the Atlantic, they're both killed. And so then they have to wait till Elsa comes of age so she can be crowned the queen and the uh, kingdom can be restored. And so that day finally comes, right? It's time for Coronation Day. And because it has to be open and guests are coming from everywhere, for the first time in Anna and Elsa's lives for a very long time, the gates of the palace are open, there's a sense of festivity, and there's all of this joy. And Anna is super excited. She ends up running into Hans, this prince from another uh, kingdom, who she immediately is infatuated with. Of course, she's been longing for a relationship because she's been alone most of her life, especially after her parents' death. And so that story's playing. And then we encounter Elsa, who has controlled this gift, which her parents saw as a curse with gloves and staying in her room and being very reserved and controlling. And, and her parents said, you can control. Do you remember? You can control. If you do this right, you can control. And some of us grew up with parents like that, amen, who ask us to be perfect even though we couldn't be, but they said, you can do it, and there's always a cost to that, amen? So the time of coronation comes, the doors are open, there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of joy with the people and the kingdom, there's a deep sense of joy with Anna, the time comes, and you'll remember if you saw the scene as they're at the time of the coronation worship service, the priest invites Elsa to take off her gloves, and she is so afraid of what that might mean because she needs to hold the orb and the crown and, and to receive the coronation. So she quickly takes off her gloves. She does it, and you can hear the eyes beginning to form. She places them back quickly. She puts on her gloves, and she is crowned the Queen of Arendelle. And there's a sense of joy. You get a sense that she and Anna are beginning to see this possibility, this opportunity to live life more fully, to no longer live locked up, quarantined, afraid, but they might actually be able to live life. Now, Anna, in a free spirit, having met Hans, is convinced that he's the one, and after just a half day of hanging out and dancing all night at the ball, she becomes convinced that it's time to marry Hans. Now, 
We're already beginning to get a sense of Hans, right? right? And for the mothers and fathers in the room, if you have a daughter who's met somebody and said we're getting married tomorrow, that would be hard. Amen, right? And, uh, but she's been so lonely, and he's showing her affection, and so she believes this is it. Now, we'll later learn he has other motives, right? He's one of 13 boys. He's at the far end of the monarchical line. He's looking for an opportunity. It's not quite clear yet, but it will become clear. So, Anna goes to her sister in the middle of the coronation dance. Seems a little selfish, frankly. And she asks for her permission to marry Hans. And I, I, let's not give Elsa a hard time, right? I mean, she's right. It's too soon, too fast. And she doesn't grant it. And, of course, Anna gets upset. They have a back-and-forth interchange. And then she pulls off the gloves, right, of her sister. And then you know the rest of the story. The ice begins to form. Uh, people accuse her of being a sorceress. There's a mean-spirited beginning against her by some in the room. She becomes totally frightened and paralyzed and panics. And ultimately, she goes into retreat. Then eventually, she leaves the village, the town, and the palace out of fear. And she goes to North Mountain, the highest mountain in the area. And she builds this ice castle, if you will, with the stairwell and the beautiful fountains. And there she finds herself free. She talks a lot about letting it go, that the winter never bothered her anyway. I really like that. Amen, right? Um, <laughs> And she's willing to live by herself in a frozen, locked-up castle because it gives her some freedom to be who she is and not live with the shame of this supposed curse. Anna can't let her sister go. And I think it, we begin to get a deeper sense of who Anna is in this story because Anna pursues her. She pursues her on a horse to try to restore the relationship. She realizes she didn't know about this situation, and now she wants to make it right, and that begins our story. Now, I want you to think about that story and about your own experiences of being frozen in fear or anxiety, and then I want you to hear the two readings our worship team chose for today. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn first in the Old Testament to Isaiah, the prophet, and we're going to look at chapter 41. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah, the prophet speaking to Judah, are about the Babylonian threat of exile. Isaiah warns again and again about returning to God's direction and will, but ultimately the people of Judah fail, and due to the Assyrians and then later the Babylonians, the temple is destroyed and the people are taken into exile. Beginning in chapter 40, God shifts and begins to offer through Isaiah a word of comfort to people who are exiled and no longer in the space that they knew. And then in chapter 41, there's a sense of promise and restoration. In verse 6, we're called, or Isaiah calls the people that each one should help the other, saying to the other, take courage. So there's this moment in the midst of so much brokenness to take courage. And then in verse 8, which you heard read today, but you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, I have not cast you off. That's an important word, right? If, you, if you've seen the temple destroyed, if you're now in exile, if you feel like there is no future, if you think God has given up on you, it's good to hear that indeed God has not given up on you. In fact, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you by my victorious right hand. 
God says to the people, I have not abandoned you. It seems that way. I know the shame is high, the loss is great, the brokenness is intense, but I am with you and I uphold you and there is no reason for you to live in fear. Yes, all who are incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. Those who strive against you shall be nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you and you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be nothing at all. God already begins to say the enemies and the shamers and the folks who are diminishing you will be no more. They will not have victory. For in verse 13, I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. There's a sense of intimacy there. I hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, do not be fearful. I will help you. Isaiah reminds the people of God that they no longer need to live in shame or fear. They no longer need to live under the oppression of enemy. But in fact, they are restored. And there's that beautiful, intimate moment. I will take your hand and hold it and lead you to restoration. No longer do you live in fear. No longer do you live in shame. No longer do you live in brokenness. Amen? Hello, friends. Come on. Amen? Amen. Right. And then our worship team chose the second text which comes to us from a small letter in the New Testament called 1 Peter. And we're looking at chapter 5. It's toward the end of the Bible. Uh, Peter wrote these two letters uh, to the churches from Rome. And Peter, of course, was a disciple who had his own brokenness, his own betrayal, his own mistakes, his own shame. And he writes this letter to be read among the churches as a way of encouraging in the midst of brokenness, shame, and persecution. So he says... Now as an elder myself, so he is clearly an elder in the church, much like uh, Pastor Clay was just commissioned to be, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in his glory to be revealed, I encourage the elders among you to tend the flock of God, that is, in your charge, exercising the oversight, not under compulsion, but willingness, as God would have you do it, not for sordid gain, but eagerly. So there's this word to the leadership of the church that we lead with grace, we lead with love, we lead not lording it over people, but we lead to restore and replenish and renew. Verse 3, do not lord it over those that are in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, you will win the crown of glory that never fades away. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. There's a deep call to humility in these churches. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. And then verse 7, which I think is an important word for us. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Hear it again. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now friends, I mean, let's be honest. In our world today, with all the brokenness, all the attacks, all the raising anti-Semitism and hatred and all the stuff that we witness, uh, even just watching the fires in Canada and the pollution in the Northeast, we can become anxious, amen? Even in our personal lives, in our relationships, our worry about our children, our worry about our future, all of the things that came post-pandemic, we could be people who live in fear and anxiety. Amen? We may be people who live in fear and anxiety. Amen? And much like Elsa, 
That fear and anxiety could paralyze us. It could freeze us into our own castles of retreat that we're no longer going to engage or be humble or live, but we'll live in our anxiety and fear. And if you're like that, I'm like that. Anxiety and fear can take over quickly, right? Anybody do borrowed trouble? Anybody? So you imagine the worst case scenarios. You hear one thing and then you kind of head down a road of, well, then it could turn out like this and maybe this could happen and maybe I won't be able to do this and whatever. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and in many ways, that level of anxiety and fear can take over our lives and in fact, paralyze us. Amen? But Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him, on Jesus, because he cares about you. One translation, cast all your worries on him because he loves you, right? And another part of scripture in the epistles of John, perfect love casts out fear. Let's say that together. Perfect love casts out fear. If we're followers of Jesus, if we really trust in the saving power of Jesus, if we commit ourselves to be disciples of Jesus, then we cast our anxiety on him. We believe that perfect love casts out fear. We remember the words of Isaiah that indeed God holds our hand and delivers us from shame and worry and worst case scenarios. Now, if you're struggling with that, I get it because that's me, right? I can imagine some of the worst things you can imagine, right? And then I have to say out loud, God cast out this fear. Cast out this anxiety. Take my hand and don't let me retreat to my frozen castle, but help me to live the life to which you've called me. Amen? So you know how the story continues. Elsa's up in her ice castle. Anna runs into Kristoff. He and Sven and Olaf eventually try to help her get to Elsa to restore the relationship, to say to Elsa, this is not a curse, it's a gift. We can do this together, right? But Elsa is so afraid, not only of what people think of her, not only afraid of what she might do to others, but she is just totally paralyzed from the deep wound of her parents saying, you can control this. You know the story continues. Anna makes every effort to get in. In the end, the, uh, the, several people come through the Duke of Wesselton and Hans trying to kill Elsa and, and claim and eventually Elsa goes to strike one of them, but strikes her sister right in the heart. And you'll remember what Grandpa Troll said, right? That I can repair anything that's hit by the ice except the heart. And then as Hans takes, uh, uh, or as Christoph takes Anna there, he says the only thing that can save her is a true act of love. So she does what we all do. She thinks it's the boyfriend she just met at the ball, right? Hans, if I can just kiss Hans, she says, then I'll be restored, right? And so she travels back rapidly uh, to Arendelle, and, and, and she begins to deteriorate and freeze, and, and she's beginning to ice over, and she gets to Hans, and she really believes he's the one. She leaves Kristoff behind and Sven, and, and they're headed back deflated because he kind of thought something was happening there and and she gets to Hans and then we see who he is right he wants his own kingdom and so when she goes to kiss him he won't even kiss her because he wants her to die so he can have power and in the middle of that they've 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 uh, captured 
uh, Elsa from the ice castle, and they have her hands in metal chains, and, and it all seems lost. It's funny, I've seen that movie a million times. I'm in the room with Clark and some others, and I'm in tears like, what's going to happen here, right? <laughs> Short-term memory, it's a problem. <laughs> anyway, as you well know, she's devastated as she's locked in a room, Anna, because she thought Hans loved her. And that happens in the world, right? We trust certain people and they don't deliver, right? And we can get paralyzed again. But something happens. Uh, you remember Sven, the reindeer? He encourages Kristoff to go back. And then she begins to believe that Kristoff is the way to restore her heart. And then Elsa breaks out and is able to escape. And then all of this stuff starts churning up in the midst of an amazing blizzard. But because un un unwillingly and un not her own fault, Elsa has created an endless winter that's only getting worse. In fact, it's just getting worse. And the more anxious she is, the more snow that falls, right? And the more fearful she is, the more snow that falls. And the more frightened she is, the more ice it comes, right? And though that's symbolic in some ways, because we know when we get ramped up in our anxiety, we get even more frozen. Amen? So Kristoff uh, is doing his best to get back. Hans is trying to kill Elsa. It's intense, right? I couldn't even eat my popcorn. It's that kind of intensity, right? <laughs> and so finally, you see Hans arrive, and poor Anna's trying to get to him, and you think she's going to kiss him, and all's going to be well. But then you see Hans trying to kill Elsa, who's fallen to the ground. Anna sees that. Instead of kissing Kristoff, which I thought was a mistake, amen, right? She goes over to save her sister, and as Hans is about to strike her, she jumps in the way, right? Are you awake out there? Come on. This is good stuff. And he goes to strike Elsa. She gets in the way. She shields it, and she freezes solid. And Elsa is delivered. And Kristoff is devastated. And Hans' plans are destroyed. And Anna is frozen, solid. And for a moment, I love this about the musical and I love it about the film, we all think it's lost. And then you'll remember just in the middle of the ice right here, things begin to warm up. And then eventually Anna thaws out. And then we suddenly realize that the true act of love was not a kiss from Kristoff, amen? It was Anna's deep love for her sister, willing to sacrifice her own life so that Elsa might live. And Elsa says to Anna in that scene, why would you do this? Because I love you. I love you with all my heart, and I want you to be happy. And I'm willing to die for you to have that. That's the power of love. That's perfect love that casts out fear. That's the love Jesus calls us to offer as people of humility and transformation. And then all is well. The ice melts, 
the flowers come out, the birds sing, and the kingdom is restored. I like it when it goes like that. <laughs> you and I know it's not always that beautiful, right? But what we do know is that perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love of Jesus keeps us from being frozen in fear and shame and brokenness. The perfect love of Jesus restores us and renews us and transforms us despite our sin and our injustice. The perfect love of Jesus keeps us from living in ice castles and causes us to live in the beauty of this world in relationship with one another. Perfect love, perfect love casts out fear.